All right, you guys. Well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word of God today. God has put a word on my heart that I am excited to share with you, and it is the God who sees. I want to talk to you today about the God who sees. And, and we're going to look specifically at the story of Hagar uh, way back in the book of Genesis and understand what it means to have a God who sees us, to have a God who sees us. There is power in being seen, right? There is power in being seen. Uh, psychology research has shown it. In fact, I read about one study this week. This was pretty fascinating. This was back in 2014. Uh, researchers did a study, and, and they wanted to find out the power of being seen on our perseverance. So they set up this, this study where they had somebody take a test, and the test required a pretty simple task, right? It was like, read through this, this paper, and every time you see two letters next to each other, I want you to circle it. And I want you to circle them until you've made ten circles and then turn your paper in, right? A really simple task. But what the people didn't know is that they were broken up into three groups. One of the groups, when they turned their paper in, the moderator made eye contact with them before looking at their paper. The second group, the moderator never looked up from the paper. And the third group, the moderator didn't even look at their paper, just dropped it right into the shredder. So people were in three groups, and, and what they did is they offered people money to continue taking these tests over and over and over again. So they had money as an incentive, but what they discovered from this test is that the people who made eye contact stuck with it 33% longer than the other two groups. The eye contact alone, not the money, because they all got the same amount of money. The eye contact alone made people persevere longer. The fascinating thing is that there was no difference whatsoever between the no eye contact and dropping the paper in the shredder, right? So, so not making eye contact and dropping the paper in the shredder and not even looking at it was exactly the same. It devalued it, right? So, so making eye contact. As human beings, we have an innate, innate need to be seen, an innate need to be known. And when we are seen and when we are known, we persevere. The best in us comes out. We are healthy and we are whole. And I want to talk to you today about the God who made us. He made us with that need to be seen and known. And if he made us with that need, then he will fulfill that need. He'll be the God who sees us. So let's take a look at our notes. If you're here with us in person, you can find the notes inside of your bulletin. If you're watching this video, you can find the notes attached to uh, this video on our website. If you're listening to the audio podcast, you can find the notes attached to the audio. Or, of course, anybody can use our Kauai Bible Church app and, and find the notes and follow along digitally with the notes on the app. All right, at the top of the notes, here's our big picture point for today, is that today, this day, in this season that we're in, a pandemic season, uh, uh, a season of social distance and lockdown and, and all of this, today, some are in a place 
where they need to know that they are seen by God. There are some people here today, there are some people on our digital campus, you need to know today that you are seen by God. And then there are some today that are in a place where it's time to be the eyes of God that see others. I think we're all going to fall into one of those two categories today. We either need to know that the eyes of God are seeing us today because we're in a rough place. Or we need to be the eyes of God that are seeing others because there's a lot of people in this day and age that are in a rough place. So let's talk about the God who sees. If you've got your Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 16. And we're going to read this particular story in the life of of Hagar. Who was Hagar? She was an Egyptian slave. And, and she served Sarai, also known as Sarah, right? Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham probably received her as a slave when he had gone to Egypt and lied about his wife, that she wasn't his wife, she was his sister. And then, you know, Pharaoh wanted to be with her. And then, uh, you know, God revealed, don't be with her because she's somebody else's wife. And then it says that he sent Abraham away and blessed him. Well, part of sending him away and blessing him was probably giving him some servants. And Hagar was one of those servants who went away with with Sarah and Abraham, or before their names were changed, Sarai and Abram. And and that's where we're at in the story here, verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Let's stop right there. Her mistress was despised in her sight. Most of what happens to Hagar is completely outside of her control. Such is the life of a slave, right? She has no say in her body. She has no say in in what she has to do day by day. She has no say in, in the destiny of her life. She is a slave. But in this one moment, she brought more trouble upon herself. Why? Because when she had a child inside of her and her owner, her mistress, Sarai, could not have a child, she began to look down on Sarai and act like she was better than her. And that brought even more trouble upon her. Right? Verse 5. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Right? Now Sarai is ticked off. Right? And, and, And she is now basically playing the part of the spoiled slave owner. Right? My slave is looking down on me. Well, poor you. You poor slave owner. So she goes to her husband. You need to deal with this. You need to be the man of the house here and deal with this slave 
that I told you to sleep with, right? You notice how everybody in this story has brought problems upon themselves? So what's Abram's response? You deal with it. That was his response. Look at verse 6. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now, can we stop right here, and can we just say that Abraham and Sarah are two people in the Bible that we look to as heroes of the faith, as a forefather and a foremother of the faith, that, uh, that, that we look to them as, as part of the story of God and a part of the story that eventually led to Jesus Christ. And, and so can we just come to grips with the fact that even the heroes of the faith in the Bible were terribly broken and flawed people? Because in this story, I, I find nothing good that we can praise about Abraham and Sarah. They are flawed and broken people that are doing awful things. And yet God is faithful to them, and yet at the end of the day, their faith prevails. And, 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 and maybe we can find some encouragement that when our brokenness comes out, when our awfulness comes out, that faith still prevails and the grace of God still prevails. But man, when I was reading this story, it just struck me just really fresh. This, they just come across as awful. It is absolutely awful. So what do we have here? We have Hagar, pregnant, being mistreated by her owner. That mistreatment could have been physical beatings. That mistreatment could have been verbal mistreatment. It, it, it could have been that she was speaking harsh things to her. We don't know. But, but this pregnant woman was being mistreated. And when she couldn't take it anymore, it says she ran away. She fled from her presence. So let's pick it up in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Shur being on the way to Egypt. What does that mean? That means that Hagar was most likely trying to find her way back to Egypt. Who found her? An angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus. Right? Anytime in the Old Testament when you read about the angel of the Lord, not an angel or a angel, but the angel of the Lord, it's referring to God himself. It's referring to an Old Testament appearance of Jesus as Jesus appears to somebody. So Jesus finds her while she is running away. Where is she? She's at a spring of water in the wilderness. She is in the middle of the desert, and thankfully, she has found an oasis in the middle of the desert where she's probably tired and hungry and thirsty and maybe thinks she's about to die, and she has settled down at this oasis, and Jesus finds her. Verse 8, he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Listen, God is omniscient, right? That means he knows everything. So anytime in the Bible where God asks somebody a question, he is not asking that question to gather information. He already knows everything. God knows the answer to every question before he even asks the question. Any time in the Bible that God asks somebody a question, 
It's not because he's trying to gather information. It's because he's trying to get the person to think and to evaluate where they're at and where their heart is at and what is going on inside of them. And so Jesus says, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Who are you? What is your plan? And who is it that you're really running from? Are you running from Sarai or are you running from me? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9, then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. All right, you can just imagine in your own mind what kind of a man he will be, but God chose to use the term donkey. Hallelujah. All right, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees. In Hebrew, she declared, El Roi, you are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Beer or Be'er Lahai Roi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one who sees me. Behold, it's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom, who Hagar bore, Ishmael. Hagar experienced the God who saw her, and it changed everything. Let's look at your notes today, and let's talk about the God who sees. The God who sees. Number one, the God who sees seeks us in our affliction. The God who sees seeks us in our affliction. It said, the angel of the Lord found her at the spring in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord found her. To find means that you were looking for, right? She wasn't looking for God. God was looking for her. In the midst of her affliction, in the midst of probably her worst moment, where not only is she an abused and mistreated slave who's bearing the child of a man she had to sleep with, but she has now also run away and probably thinks she's going to die in the desert because she doesn't have anything to eat. She doesn't know how she's going to make it. Chances are she doesn't even know where she's going. And maybe if she does make it to Egypt, are they even going to receive her there? Or are they going to just beat her and send her back to her owner? She doesn't know. She is in the worst moment of her life, and she is not looking for God, but the amazing thing is God was looking for her. The one who sees, seeks us out. In our affliction, in our worst moments, in our pain, in our struggle, even when you're not looking for Him, He's looking for you. 
2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Those words strongly support mean attach Himself to. God's eyes are constantly moving. God is not just passively waiting around for people to find Him. No, His eyes are constantly moving. He's constantly looking. He's looking for you. Why? Because He wants to attach Himself to you. He wants to support you. He wants to be your strength. He wants to be the one who gets you through this thing. He is looking for you. Psalms 121 and verse 3. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. The the language where it says keeps you, that means the one who watches over you. The one whose eyes are upon you never closes his eyes. He never slumbers. He never goes to sleep. His eyes are upon you. He seeks you out and he never looks away. His eyes are upon you. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. All right, let's, let's be honest here. Knowing that God's eyes are upon you may be comfort for you today. But if you're living in sin and you know you're purposely living in sin, then the fact that the eyes of God are upon you might be terrifying to you today. Because his eyes are in every place watching the evil and the good. And if the fact that God's eyes are upon you in the midst of your sin terrifies you, then praise God for that. Because that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is letting you know that something is wrong in your life and God has something better for you. Listen to that conviction and respond to that conviction. But the eyes of God are upon every one of us. He seeks us out in our pain. He seeks us out in our loneliness, in our struggle, in this pandemic season when we don't know what's going on. His eyes are seeking us out. The second thing, the God who sees knows our name. The God who sees knows our name. One of the awful things about this story with Abram and Sarai is that they never once call Hagar by her name. They have completely devalued her as a human being. She's referred to as the Egyptian. She's referred to as the maid. But they never say her name. So wouldn't you know it, in verse 8, when Jesus finds her, the first word that comes out of his mouth is her name. He wanted her to know, I know your name. And by speaking her name, just simply speaking her name, he spoke so much value into her for someone who had been disregarded and devalued and mistreated. Just speaking her name poured so much value into her because it showed that she was a person, a person created by God. And not only was she created by God, and that alone gives us intrinsic pricelessness, but God also knew her, not just her name, but everything about her. God knew her inside and out. Come on, John chapter 10 and verse 3, Jesus said this, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. 
He knows your name. Verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Listen, Jesus knows your name. He knows you. He knows everything about you. I love this picture from Isaiah 49, verse 16. It says, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Now, in this verse, God is speaking to Zion, which is the city of Jerusalem. So what God is saying here is that he has literally inscribed upon his hand a map of the city. He says, that is why your walls are continually before me. He inscribed it upon his hand. But what if we take that verse? And this is Jesus speaking to us. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand, right? He doesn't just know your name. You have been inscribed. And what do we know about the palm of Jesus' hand? There is a hole through it because he went to the cross for us. And what a thought that every time Jesus looks at his hand, there's a picture of us inscribed there because he knows us. And our face is continually before his eyes. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul wrote, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Paul understood that he was fully known by God. He could embrace that. There is something powerful about being fully known by God. He knows everything. He knows my thoughts. He knows my struggles. He knows my fears. He knows my passion. He knows my joy. He knows the things that make me happy. He knows what I'm going through. He knows everything about me, and he loves me, and he died for me, and he wants the absolute best for me. The God who sees knows our name, and when he speaks our name, everything changes. The God who sees calls us to submit. The God who sees calls us to submit. This is an interesting part of the story. Right? Jesus finds her. Jesus speaks her name. And then the very next thing he tells her to do is to go back to her owner that's mistreating her. This doesn't make a lot of sense. He's calling her to submit. Now listen, the important thing about this story is not that we take this story and we apply it generally across every situation and that this means that every person who's being abused and mistreated is supposed to submit themselves to the person who's mistreating them. That is not what this story means. What this story means is that no matter what situation we are in, we submit to God. And we do what he says. And if he says to stay, then stay. And if he says to go, then go. But submit to God, right? I personally, as a pastor, would never tell somebody to return to the person who's abusing them. But if God tells you to stay, then you stay, right? God is telling her to submit. And here's the thing. When we know we are seen, we can trust to submit. God asked her to do something really difficult. God asked her to do something that in the natural makes no sense whatsoever. God asked her to do something that he knew would be intensely difficult for her. 
But because she knew that God saw her, and because she knew that God knew her name and that God valued her, she trusted him. And because she trusted him, she submitted to what he said, right? Because we read in verse 15 that she went back and she birthed this child for Abraham. And Abraham obeyed God and named him Ishmael. Right? God is calling us to submit. And he might be calling you to submit in some difficult areas and some difficult things. But we can trust him to submit because we know that he sees us and we know that he knows our name. And then finally, the God who sees also gives us his promises. The God who sees also gives us his promises. He didn't just tell Hagar to go back. He told her why she was to go back because there were some promises that he was going to fulfill in her life. He said, listen, you need to go back. And here's the amazing thing is how these promises that he gave to Hagar sound an awful lot like the promises that he gave to Abraham and Sarah. Right? Just as God told Abraham, your seed, your promised child will produce offspring that are too multiple to count. He gives the same promise to Hagar. I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And then he goes on to say, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. That sounds an awful lot like a promise that an angel made to a young couple named Joseph and Mary when he said, Behold, you are with child, and you shall have a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Right? This slave woman who was pregnant by no choice of her own and who was found in the middle of the desert, God gave her powerful promises that he gave to other people in the story of Jesus. Listen, when God finds you in your desert, He's got powerful promises for your life as well. But the fulfillment of those promises is found in our submission. Hagar received every promise that God makes right here in Genesis 16 because she submitted. Because she submitted. We will receive every promise that God has for us when we submit. Not before we submit, when we submit. But God has powerful promises. The one who sees you has an amazing purpose for your life, has amazing blessings for your life, has an amazing power to work through your life. He has promises for you. Amen? So let's wrap this up. What, what does this mean? When we know that God sees us, we can get through anything. Come on, when we know that God sees us, we can get through anything. Hagar couldn't take it anymore. She was going to run away because she had reached the end of her rope. She had nothing left to give. She couldn't take it anymore. One encounter with Jesus, one encounter with the God who saw her, and what did she do? She went back and took some more. Right? When you think you've reached the end of yourself, 
then see the eyes of the God who sees you, and you can get through anything, and you'll make it through way more than you ever thought you could. When we know God sees us, we can get through anything, right? The second thing, when we know that God sees us, we can stop running and submit to His will. But I just believe there's some people here today, there's some people hearing this message digitally that you have been running from God. You've been running from His purpose for your life. You've been running from His promises. You've been running from His redemption and His restoration because you haven't wanted to submit. You haven't wanted to deal with the things of God. You haven't wanted to surrender the things that you've been holding on to. And when you know that there is a God who sees you, a God who died for you, a God who is pursuing you, a God who loves you beyond measure, you can stop running. Come on, somebody here today needs to stop running. Hagar was running and then one encounter with God and she didn't have to run anymore. Somebody needs to hear this today. You don't have to run anymore. One encounter with the God who sees you and you can surrender yourself to him. And live the life He promised you. And finally, when we know God sees us, we can see others with His eyes. Let me invite the worship team to come back today as I finish with this thought. We can see others with His eyes. Jesus, what did He do in His life here on the earth? He walked around seeing people. Right? He walked around seeing people. He saw people in one condition, but he saw something better in them. And he drew something greater out of them. Right? He saw prostitutes, but he didn't see them as prostitutes. He saw them as something beautiful, something redeemed. And he drew something better out of them. Right? He saw tax collectors, but he didn't see sinners that were to be rejected and discarded. No. He saw people with purpose and destiny that could be called out of them, right? He saw fishermen and said, hey, that's great that you're fishing for fish, but I'm calling you to fish for men. Jesus walked around seeing people and drawing something better out of them. And if we are Christians, that means we are little Christs. We are followers of Jesus. And that day by day we are to become more like Jesus. Then that is our call in life is to walk around seeing people. Seeing people. And see them with the eyes of God. That they know that there is a God who sees them and loves them. And in seeing them... We can draw something out of them. What does that mean? That means, come on, let's lift our eyes up. Now, I'm going to preach to myself right here, but maybe this will convict somebody else too. That means lifting your eyes up from your phone. Holy Spirit's challenging me to do this. We need to put our phones down and lift our eyes up from our phones and see people. It means we need to lift our eyes up. It means when we're out in public, when we're at work, when we're at the grocery store, wherever we are, that we lift our eyes up and we make eye contact with people. Even if it feels awkward, make eye contact with people. And then when you've got a mask on, you got to smile so big they can see you smiling even with a mask on. Come on. We've got to see people and then draw something out of them. Speak something over them that is greater than what they see in themselves. Speak something over them that is greater than the position they're in right now. Speak something into them that when they're in the midst of their desert and they don't think they're going to make it, 
Speak something that will change everything. Come on, if you think about where you're at in your life right now, you are where you are right now because somebody saw you with the eyes of God. Right? I think about in my life, Bruce saw me, but he didn't see a criminal drug addict. He saw something greater, and he led me to Christ. I think of Jennifer, who, as this brand-new Christian, fresh off the streets, she saw a ministry calling in my life and told me to go to the Master's Commission, and so I went. I think of Mark, who, as this student in the Master's Commission, he looked at me, and he said, I believe you could make a great difference in the teenagers of our city. And so I dropped everything, and I moved to his city. I think about Bob McGregor, who challenged me. Tumbleweeds don't produce fruits. Aaron, you got to plant yourself and stick through it in this season. Come on. I am here today and where I'm at in my life because people saw me with the eyes of God. People found me in the midst of my deserts. Come on, there's a whole lot more of me out there. And when we know God sees us, we can see others with the eyes of God. Amen. Will you stand with me today? I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you today. Come on. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable today. Don't worry. Don't look around. Don't worry about what anybody else is thinking. Let's just be vulnerable today. If you're here today and you would say, Aaron, I'm in the middle of a desert. And I need God to see me because I don't know. I don't know how much further I can go on my own. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand right now? Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. Come on. Jesus. Maybe you're here right now. And you would say, Pastor, I'm ready to stop running. I'm ready to stop running from my destiny. I need a God who sees me so I can stop running. And right now, you would raise your hand and say, I'm ready to stop running. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready to start seeing people. And I need the challenge. I need the conviction of the Spirit to get my eyes off my phone. To get my eyes off the ground and up and around so I can see people. Raise your hand right now. Say, I'm ready to start seeing people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Even on the digital campus, I believe there's people right now in your living rooms raising your hand. If you're driving your car right now, don't raise your hand. I'll just trust. God knows. God knows. Jesus, right now, would you see everyone whose hand is raised? Jesus, right now, would you see everyone whose heart is open to you? Oh, Father, would you attach yourself to them right now? Would you strongly support them right now? Oh, would you be the God of comfort right now? Oh, Jesus, would you right now change everything in somebody's life because they know there is a God who sees them. There is a God who knows their name. Come on, I pray for those in financial distress. 
They don't have to go through it alone. There is a God who sees. I pray for those that are in emotional distress. They don't have to go through it alone. There is a God who sees. I pray for those that are struggling with sickness and brokenness in their body. They don't have to go through it alone. There is a God who sees. Come on, I pray for those that are lost in their sin right now. They don't have to stay in that place because there is a God who sees and a God who redeems. Come on, I pray for those that are lonely right now. I pray for those that are feeling isolated right now because of the pandemic, that are experiencing depression. Oh, that they don't have to go through it alone. There is a God who sees, right? There is a God who sees you right now in the midst of your loneliness, in your depression, in your fear. There is a God who sees you in your darkness right now. There is a God who sees you and he is shining a light in your life right now. Hallelujah. The sun is rising in your life right now. And you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Hallelujah. Comfort right now in Jesus' name. Strength right now in Jesus' name. Restoration right now in Jesus' name. Come on, you're going to make it because there is a God who sees you. There is a God who sees you. Hallelujah. Come on, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, minister to every heart right now, Lord. Minister to every heart. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.